theyeshiva.net. So just before we begin, Be'ezer Hashem, Metzai Shabbos, is Metzai Shabbos Slichus. So those of you who are living in our neck of the woods, in Muncie, or in the vicinity of Muncie, we're going to have a Fabrengen, Kumsitz before Slichus. It's going to begin at 10 o'clock p.m. in the tent at 18 Forche at the Shul of Archaim. There's going to be a Malava Malka, going to be some music, and then it will be followed one o'clock by various Minyanim of Slichus. Uh, the stream, those of you who can't make it physically, it'll also be Be'ezer Hashem Blineder streamed, which will begin 10.30 p.m. And you can watch it at theyeshiva.net. Today is Chai Elul, the 18th day of Elul, which celebrates the birthdays of the Baal Shem Tev and the Alter Rebbe, the Baal Hatanya. They were both born on Chai Elul, on Yudchas Elul, which we call Chai Elul, the life of Elul. Thank you. The Baal Shem Tev was born on the 18th day of Elul of the year Heyalofim Tov Nun Ches. They call it Nachas, the year of Nachas. In the secular calendar, it would be 1698. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya, who was a student of the Magid of Mizrich, who succeeded the Baal Shem Tov, he was also born on the 18th of Elul, a few decades later, in the year Tov Kof Hei. They call it Kahos, which would be 1745. So the Baal Shem Tov is 1698, and the Alter Rebbe, 1745, both Chai Elul. Moshamtov, of course, passed away 1760. The Alter Rebbe saw him once at the Upshernish. His father, Reb Baruch, took him to the Moshamtov to cut his hair. He told him he shouldn't bring him back to him <coughs> afterwards because he belongs to his student, the Maggit. And the Alter Rebbe passed away 1812. Chavdal Tevis, Kofay, and Gimel. The Moshamtov Shvu was 1760. It's just good to note that Chai Elul, I believe, is also the yard site of the Maharal of Prague. Rabbi Yehuda Leva of Prague, 16th century great rabbi and sage, one of the greatest seminal thinkers of uh, his generation, and many generations, known as Rabbi Yehuda Leva of Prague. His yard site is also on Chai Elul. You may know that Alter Rebbe was a seventh generation of the Maharal of Prague. Maharal of Prague was his, was his Zayda. In fact, in the opening of Tanya, when he says <coughs> that this book is Malukat Mabisfarim Vesaifrim, it's compiled from books and scribes. So Hasidim say that the scribes refer to the Balshamtiv and the Magid, and the books refer specifically, besides all of the Kabbalistic literature and all of Chazal and Rishainim and Acherainim, specifically to the works of the Maharal, his Zayda, the Alter Rebbe Zayda, and the Shallah, Rabbi Yeshai Horowitz. So, since it's Chayelo, and it's before Rosh Hashanah, so today we're going to learn a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, whose birthday is today. So, uh, if you haven't yet, please open your source sheet. I'll put a link, um, if you go to theyeshiva.net, it's the class, the first class on top, the Baal Shem Tov about blowing Shafer. There, there should be a source sheet, and that's what we're going to focus on. It's a teaching of the Baal Shem Tev about 
blowing shofar. I'm also going to post it in the Zoom, in the Zoom chat, so the chavre who are on Zoom can also enjoy it inside. Okay, here it is. I took it from a Sefer. I took it online from a Sefer. I'm going to read now. Take a look inside. Take a look inside, and we're going to get right into it. Okay. So, the guys on the Zoom, you found the source sheet in chat? Yeah? You clicked on it? Okay. If you want to see it later, again, you can go to the yeshiva.net. Every, all these classes have a source sheet. I mean, whenever we learn the text inside. Okay, so you see on top, it says, dayeshiva.net, Shir 18 Elul 5781. This class is dedicated in honor of the birthdays of Pesha and Eliyahu Goldsmith for good health, long life, happiness, closeness to Hashem, bracha vatzlacha adblidai, saying thank you for your partnership and friendship. Lariches yamim v'shanam toivus and... Happy birthday, Mazel Tov. Congratulations. Hemshech v'kacha tofresh lamet zayin la'admar ma'arash perik ayin. This is a segment, chapter 70, of a long, long series of Hasidic discourses, my morim, by the Rebbe Maharash, Rebbe Shmuel. In the Chabad dynasty, the Alter Rebbe, the birthday... Uh, the one whose birthday is Chayelo, he was the founder of Chabad. His son was the Mittler Rebbe, his grandson was the Tzamech Tzedek. Tzamech Tzedek's youngest son is known as the Rebbe Maharash. Maharash is Moirenu Harav Rabbi Shmuel. He was the youngest son of the Tzamech Tzedek, great-grandson of the Balatanya, the fourth Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad Lubavitch, Maharash. He... <coughs> has what's known as a Hemshech V'kach. It's a series of Chabad Maimorim on Chassidus of the year Tof Reish Lamed Zayin. Tof Reish Lamed Zayin would be 1877. Begins 1876, continues 1877. And in chapter 70, he brings a teaching of the Baal Shem Tev. The Baal Shem Tev asked a question. What is the meaning and the significance of blowing Shaifa and Rosh Hashanah? What's the point of it? I can understand to have a musical accompaniment to the holiday festivities, and you have great musicians or vocalists playing music, singing songs. <coughs> but what's the idea of taking the shofar, the ram's horn, and blowing it? What's the, what's the significance of it? So there are different interpretations, and this is the Baal Shem Tev's explanation. As again, it's quoted, I'm reading it from a maimer, from a discourse of the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Maharash, in a Sefer, Hemshech V'kach Katof Rish Lamedzai. He begins, V'nizbayir Moshel Alzeh B'Shem HaBal Shemtev. There's an explanation of the, a Moshel in the name of the Bal Shemtev. In other words, they quoted the Bal Shemtev giving over a Moshel, explaining this through an allegory, through a metaphor. It's a, it's a, it's a long metaphor. It's actually not so common to find in a Chabad Maimeh, in a Maimeh, you know, the Alter Rebbe also gives metaphors. We had the metaphor of the king in the field. But he says it very briefly 
two, three lines. Generally, the metaphors are brief and concise. Here, he elaborates on the marshal of the Baal Shem Tev. There was a king who had an only son, an only child, a prince. And this child was Malumad Hetev. He was educated. He was, he was trained. He was skilled. He was a capable young man. In other words, he was an extraordinary individual with tremendous potential to lead. And the king loved him, as you would say, the apple of his eye. He was the apple of his eye, Mamish. He was, he was so treasured. He was so treasured by him. One day, the father, the king, and the prince conceived of the following idea. He should travel to other countries, other regions, other places, to be able to broaden his horizons, to be able to acquire more wisdom, learn different branches of wisdom, and to learn anthropology, to learn about cultures, to learn about people. This, of course, would serve him very well, because if he would one day become an heir of the throne, the most important thing is to have an understanding, to have an awareness of who people are, what people are, what life is like, what they're going through, and to have perspective. So he sends him for two things. One is to learn to acquire knowledge, information, and wisdom. There's a big difference between information and wisdom. And the other thing is to learn about people, to learn about you know the lay of the land and what life is really like outside of the palace, outside of his cocoon. So yes, he was doing very well in the palace, but he felt, I really need the experience of life. So his father gave him, first of all, some assistance, some of his servants, to be able to accompany him. He also gave him a lot of money. He gave him a lot of money so that he should be able not just to travel one place, but really to tour various countries, various cities, various islands on the sea. And the purpose was, for the child's benefit, he should reach a much refi- more refined and a much higher state than when he was by his father at home. Because being at his father at home, you know, he was in his own cocoon and in his own home and in his own environment. But the real exposure to life and to people, and to different countries, and as I said, different cultures, and traditions, and wisdoms, he needed to go learn. And this is what happened. He left. He said goodbye to Tati and Mami, to the queen, to the king. You can just imagine, you know, the tears of bidding farewell to their precious Ben Yachid, their precious only child. Off he went on this fateful journey. But you know how things work out. They don't always work out the way we dream of them to work out in the beginning. As days and weeks and months and years passed, everything that his father gave him for the expenses of this journey, 
He was very spoiled. <laughs> he grew up in luxury and prosperity. So he wanted to maintain the main sta- the same standards. So he basically squandered the money. And it was depleted. But something else happened. As he traveled, he started to develop different appetites, different instincts, and different addictions. He got involved with substances, with situations, with people that were not healthy for him, that were not productive for him. Instead of retaining that identity as the prince, he basically surrendered. He became a victim of his circumstances. He was influenced by people who are involved in different things, and he started to develop all of these cravings. And they're all expensive. Until he sold everything. You know how it is when it comes to Tivus, when I'm a glutton, especially when I have an addiction and I'm attached to something. You're ready to sell everything just to be able to satisfy those cravings. This is what the Baal Shem Tev is describing a few hundred years ago. So he sold everything. Now he needed a place to live. And he ended up in some far-fetched city in some far-fetched country or region. It was so remote and distant from his father that nobody knew there about his father, about the king, about the, this great monarch, this great leader. When he introduced himself as the prince of this and this king, not only did they not believe him, they thought the guy is hallucinating or lying. They didn't even know who he's talking about. Sometimes they have respect for his father, they have respect for the family, but you know, Prove it, <laughs> right? Show us the credit card. Show us your passport. Show us your ID. But here, first of all, they didn't believe him. Second of all, they didn't know who he's talking about. Like, who, who, who is this guy whom you're calling the monarch? In other words, it was such a far, far shtetl, so remote from the from the capital, so remote from the culture, from the traditions. They lived in their own bubble. They lived their own way, so they couldn't even understand what he's talking about. The Baal Shem Tev continues the story. V'kasherah, one day, the prince saw Shekolsa kol trupois ta'alois lahachios esnafshoi batsarloi ola beliboi lachzer lamedinas aviv. Life moves on. In the beginning, there's excitement. There's the high, you know, there's the new experiences that I never had as a child. The grass is greener on the other side. There's meeting these new people. There's a sense of freedom, of uninhibitedness. But he let go of everything. The whole vision of him to be able to refine himself, train himself, learn more wisdom, learn about people and grow from the experience and become a much more developed, refined, cultured, enlightened, wise prince than he was in his father's home this was all squandered there was no money there was no you know his father's assistants have left him obviously a long time ago they escorted him but then they left he was now entrenched in all types of behaviors that were not very productive and meaningful they were not suiting his innermost desires and cravings and personality 
And at some point, you know, you sell everything. <laughs> and that money is squandered too. So he says, but everything finished. You know, all the highs finished. All his medications, all of his remedies, everything he used to give him chiyos, to give him, to give him a high, to give him a geshmak, to distract him. He was in distress. So what happens? He thought to himself, I want to go back to my father. But it's been so long. It's not been a month or two months. He doesn't say it, but it's many years. It's many years. It's been many years. So much time has passed since he saw his parents. He forgot the language. Here where he was living between these peasants, there was a different language, different vernacular. He forgot the language. So as he comes back, he travels, he takes the journey, and he comes back to his own region, to his own city. What can he do? The way we communicate, the way we introduce ourselves is through verbal communication. He forgot the language too. Remember, this is before the days of Google Translate. He couldn't type in, you know, the words. <laughs> and Google would translate and he would show it to the guard at the palace. He didn't understand the language, he forgot it. As he started to come back to the country where he came from, he started to, with sign language, show people that he is the prince. He is the ear of the throne. You know, the king who they honored so much. And I should just say this in parentheses. You have to understand, you know, when we speak about a king, we're speaking about a concept that's not very contemporary and very relevant to us. But in the days of the Baal Shem Tev, you know, monarchy was the most powerful institution in the world for thousands of years. So a king, sometimes you had a benevolent king. Sometimes you had a Meshugana king. Sometimes you had a tyrant and a dictator who was a heinous criminal and a ruthless, vindictive murderer. Sometimes you had a very, very fine melech, a wonderful person, a benign person, a great person, and everybody in between. But there was tremendous respect and awe and reverence. So he says when he comes back, he can't speak, but he could do sign language. And with sign language, Lerames, he intimates to them, however he did it, that I'm the boy, I'm the son of the king. Everybody just mocked him. They said, you know, the guy is, the guy lost it. He was a schoik, he was a mockery. Because how is it possible? The prince, the child of such a powerful monarch should walk around in such rags and with such torn garments. Remember this kid at this point had nothing. He squandered everything. He was walking around like a homeless, impoverished beggar. And when you looked at him, it was, it was, it was pitiful. It was disgraceful. Karua Obolui means he had not a complete garment. Everything was torn. The man was in rags. So obviously it's impossible that he would be the prince if this is his father. So nobody could believe and they laughed. And then you also have the people, you know, who use victims and they bully them. Especially when he's trying to be the prince and trying to lie to them that he's the prince. So they started to hit him. They started to beat him. They gave him beatings. <coughs> on his head. 
Now he's not only poor, homeless, impoverished, and rags, he's full of, he's full of wounds. He's ptsayim. Ptsayim are wounds. Chaburais <coughs> are the marks of somebody who beats somebody up. Umaketriya, and full of fresh beatings. He was struck. People would beat, they beat him. Until he schlepped himself, wounded, impoverished, in rags, to the courtyard of the palace. He thought maybe here it's going to work. And again, he couldn't speak the language. So he started to intimate to them through sign language, through gestures with his hands or with his face. Then he is the son, you know, I guess he was pointing to himself and pointing to the chamber of the king and like, you know, I'm the long lost son. Maybe there was even a portrait of the king and he could point and say, you know, this is me, this is my family. But again, it was so, it was so unrealistic. Nobody looked at him, nobody took him seriously. He was just another person who's, who's driving us crazy. You know, you have these types of people who often, <coughs> are not dealing with a with a full deck and sometimes challenged mentally and challenged in different ways and they're schlepping to the palace and they're claiming that they're the heir of the throne. So what do people do? You ignore them. Sometimes they, you know, some people will give them a smack, some people will throw them on and some people just ignore them. They just ignore them. Ad says the Boshamtav, what do you do? What do you do? Nobody recognizes me. Nobody understands my language. I can't communicate with anybody. There was one last solution. He started to scream. He started to cry out with a loud voice. He knew that the king will recognize his child's voice. He may not understand his language anymore because his language has been changed. He may not be able to recognize him externally when he looked at him because of the aging and because of what he's went through and because of what he looked like and because of the beatings. But the voice. So he started to cry out. Says the Baal Shem HaMelech The king sitting in the palace hears the voice of somebody crying, screaming, sobbing, and he recognizes the voice. Omar, he says, This is the sound of my boy. This is the voice of my son who's cry, crying out from his distress. And all the love pent up in a father's heart for so many years was triggered. It was aroused. And he goes out to him, and he embraced him. And he kissed him. etc. Father and son were reunited. This is the end of the story that the Holy Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tev shared with us. Chevre, you get the story? Ah, this is it? This is it. The metaphor is brought in different svarim, you're right, in different places, sometimes with different nuanced variations. But this is the theme, this is the main theme of the marshal attributed to the Baal Says the Baal Shem Tev, 
This was a metaphor to serve as a nimshal, as a paradigm, to be able to understand the meaning of Tkiyah Shoifer, the meaning of the Shoifer and Rosh Hashanah, because the same story happens Lamaila above. Meaning, the souls of Knesset Yisrael, the souls of Yisrael are called children of Hashem. Even though the Pasek in Kohelis, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, tells us he has no son and he has no brother. God is not a biological being who begets children, who has siblings. So what do we mean, Hashem is Yisrael, are called children? Says the Rebbe, in Kolze, nonetheless, Chivavon, he loved them, Vikaron Bonim, and he defines them, he calls them children. Kamashikasav, as the Pasuk says, Bni Bechayri Yisrael, when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to go to Parai, and ask him to emancipate the Hebrew slaves, he says, tell him, this is Bni Bechayri Yisrael, Yisrael is my oldest child, my oldest prince. Uksiv, the Pasuk says in Parshish Re'eh, Bonim atem l'ashem You are children of Hashem. And he has to bring verses for this. Why does he have to bring Psukim for this? Because as he said, it says in Kayelas, God has no children. God has no brothers. God is God. He has no definitions. Can't use the definitions and the anthropomorphisms, you know, that we employ for humans or lahavdal for mammals. So he says, that's all true. But take a look in Torah, he calls us children. And then comes the moment that the neshama, the soul, which is called a child of Hashem, and a child you love like you love yourself. And as we know, a parent will do for a child what they will not do for themselves. He took this soul and he sent it on a shlichus. He sent his soul far away from the palace. He sent the soul into the physical landscape of reality. He sent the soul into the body. Shazel Kemoshel ben Hamelech. In the metaphor, this is the part of the story with the prince. Shaholach b'derech rechaiku traveled down a remote path to take him to distant places, b'chdele islamid in order to learn, in order to acquire wisdom, in order to refine himself, in order to become a much greater, deeper, and better person. And this is exactly what God did with the soul. The soul was living in the bosom of its father. The soul was nenem basking and bathing in the glory of the divine presence. The soul is a mamash, as the Balat as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya chapter 2. A piece of infinity, a derivative of infinity the light of infinity, the light of Hashem. He takes this, then it's a child. The child is living with Tate and Mami, one. And a, as he said before, it's such a great prince, such an extraordinary being, such an extraordinary presence and light. But Hashem says we have to go to the next step. The Neshama should go on a journey, far journey, far, far away from the palace, far away from the spiritual, metaphysical realities where divinity and infinity and oneness is manifested and revealed. And the reason is, just as in the metaphor, we want that the child should become the person he's capable of becoming. The prince should develop the skills and acquire the sensitivity and cultivate the personality and the wisdom to make him into the true person, 
he is called on to become. And this is what the neshama does when it travels far away into the body. It's particularly in this world where the neshama engages in mitzvahs and generally all of the good and noble and moral deeds and actions and lifestyles. Through this, the souls are sublimated and elevated to a state that is infinitely deeper than it was before it left the palace, before it came into the body. In the famous expression, you read the the descent of the soul is a it's for the soul. It's not to compromise its integrity. It's not, God forbid, to torture it. It goes into tough terrains. It travels into distant places, just like the prince. But the point is, that it should be able to learn from it, to flex its muscles, to actualize its potentials, to become a much greater entity. Amnam, what often happens on this journey is, just as in the story, what happens to the prince, he gets entangled, he gets stuck in different places. Instead of knowing who he is, he often gets stuck and entangled and distracted. Isn't that what happens to us? In our journey, the journey is a journey of love. The journey is a journey of innocence. The journey is a journey of purity. The journey is a journey of divine oneness. That's the journey. But in the process, especially, especially when we experience our first disappointments in life, when we stop, when we feel that we can't trust anymore, when we feel betrayed, And we develop survival skills instead of the skills of love. When I start looking for validation because I can't find my love. When I experience traumas that cultivate and develop into all types of fears and insecurities. And now I'm stuck. And what about when I develop numbers and all types of distractions? What happens is, the person often falls in love with his or her external self, and I'm just trying to satisfy my body. I have cravings, so I become a binger. I become a drinker. I become a gambler. Substance abuse becomes part of my life. I fall in love with my most external self simply to make myself feel good. That's what Avas HaGuf means. Avas HaGuf means I love my body instead of me. I love only my body. I just want to feel good. In other words, I don't even love my body. I'm using my body as a distraction. That's what Avas HaGuf is. Taivas There's the addiction to money. Survival. I need to live. I just want to make money. And sometimes in the process of trying to make money, people don't know who they are. They lose their soul. They sell their soul to the devil. They're ready to sell their mother and their God. Everything becomes about money, money. It becomes a deity. And in the process of making money, they trample on their own soul and on other people's souls. And the Baal says, Ushari taivis adam misavah. Ushari taivis Maybe shaha adam misavolan. Ushari taivis adam misavolan. And all other types of cravings or addictions that people may crave for. In other words... He's not getting into all of the trappings that we experience, but basically as we grow up, it's so easy for me to become alienated from my true core, my true essence, my true calling. And as the person becomes so submerged 
in these distractions, I days in Israchik Ma'id Lamakim Shani Yudea Klal Shame Avev. He goes so far. He reaches a place where the entire presence of his father is unknown. They don't even know the name of his father. It's best described by Parai's words to Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu says, You know, I have a child. God says, I have a child. Set him free. Let him go. He says, Who is Hashem that I should listen to him? I never heard of him. You know, let me see the documentation that proves God's existence. Pari wasn't only telling Moshe that you're not saying the truth. Who is this God that you're even talking about? Again, back to the metaphor. Not only they didn't believe the child, they didn't even understand the child. The Medrash Rabbah says that all of the exiles and all of the enduring anxieties throughout history all originate and all have that title of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim comes with the word Mitzar, oppression, that which causes you stress and anxiety, batsarli, from the word tsar, it's narrow, it's distressful, it all comes from the word mitzrayim, which means mitzar. So what happens by paroi, by mitzrayim, is really a paradigm for the future. through this distance. The person forgets everything they used to know. I just forget, I forget my song. I forget my, my music. I forget my integrity. I forget my authenticity. I forget my spirituality. I forget my sensitivity. Everything that the soul breathed and lived with, when it was in the palace of its father and mother, it forgets. V'nechser etzla. And she ultimately squanders so many of her treasures. Hein beruchni is kol Sometimes spiritually, everything I once owned, I squander it. And it affects me physically as well. It's not just you're missing spirituality, but you have tremendous physicality. Ultimately, the two are connected. When I'm spiritually impoverished, when I'm ethically impoverished, when I'm morally impoverished, ultimately it causes me physically not to feel good, physically not to be happy, physically not to be successful. I'm missing physically. As the famous sages tell us, the mission at the end of Masech Kedushin, by disassociating myself from my creator and my own soul, I have deprived myself from my own parnasa, from my own sustenance and livelihood. As time passes, the prince travels more and he's located and relocated from one place to another place and he's schlepping around and he has no place really to call home. The prince, and in this metaphor, we're talking about the soul being schlepped here and being schlepped there. No real anchor, no foundation, no real connection. I'm alienated. We become impoverished and lose so much, lose everything. You know, sometimes you meet a person. I remember once an addict came to see me. He was deep in addiction. And he had a great personality and he was a very smart person and he started to cry which was already a sign that the journey of healing is beginning, the journey of recovery is beginning. And he said, I had everything and now I have nothing. You know, I have nothing. And he was at least sensitive enough to know it. Sometimes you don't even know it. Sometimes I so much have nothing, I don't know that I have nothing. That's how nothing I <laughs> That's how empty I am. I'm so empty, like we learned in the Maim Ranila Doidi. That as long as the nail is attached to the body, you'll feel the pain. 
You'll feel the pain when you stub that nail in a rock. You'll feel the pain when I'm detached and I don't feel. How can something detached feel? And I don't feel that which is separated. So he says what happens is the person is unempty. In the expression of the Pasuk, everything has a source. In Shaiftim, Vayidal Yisrael, in Shaiftim and Nevi'im, in the book of Judges, Vayidal Yisrael from the word Dal, Yisrael has become impoverished. This doesn't only mean spiritually, it's spiritually, but it's also physically. Because again, to be physically successful, you need to be emotionally successful. If not, I can have physical money, but what is it worth? What is it worth? It's dirty money. It's money that's being used to squander me. It's not money that's being used to promote anything meaningful in my life and therefore doesn't promote my happiness either. The canal b'mashal, back to the metaphor, sheshachach gam halasha. It reaches a point that the prince even forgot the language, hainu b'nimshal, what does this represent? Inyin harigila b'dveikus alakus. The soul had a language. It was the language of its father. It's the language of godliness. It's a language. It's a vocabulary. We're not here talking about language, English versus Yiddish versus French versus Russian versus Hebrew versus Italian, Portuguese, or Mandarin. We're talking here about a language. Language is the prism through which we see the world. We communicate to la- through language to others. We communicate through language to ourselves too. So language is not a technical thing that's useful in order to be able to communicate. Obviously, it's that too. But really, language is much deeper than that. As we learned in many Maimarim, language are the building blocks of creation. Language is the tool through which we understand the world. Our vocabulary defines for us concepts and realities as a perspective. It gives us perspective. So when you say you don't have language, it doesn't only mean teach me the word. It's the whole language is gone. The soul, that's the, what the Baal Shem Tev is saying. There's a language that the soul understood. There was a language the soul was sensitive to. There's a language that the soul cultivated. This is my language. These are the lenses through which I see reality, through which I see the world, and then sometimes I forget that language. It's a language. Elokus is a language. Dveikus is a language. Dveikus means intimacy. Elokus means divinity, infinity. It's a language. What's the, what's the language of Dveikus? What does Dveikus look like? What does Elokus look like? It's a language. It's not something I can tell you, I translate the word. Either I have the language or I don't have the language. Again, it's a prism, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of feeling, it's a way of reacting, it's a way of looking at things. The way I look at a mosquito and a squirrel, the way I look at a tree and a basketball hoop, the way I look at a gazelle, and the way I look like a, I look at a groundhog, the way I look at myself, I look at my spouse, it's a, language of neshama, it's called a neshama language, and the Baal Shem Tev says, and the soul, through all of its journeys and vicissitudes, it sometimes forgets the language. Says the Baal Shem Tev, was tutman. How do I get back? There comes a point, there is a longing, there's a yearning. I've broken so much, I, have, I, I, I hit rock bottom, I want to come back. But I don't have the language. So the soul starts screaming, crying, with a simple sound, with a simple voice. So that his father will recognize him through recognizing his voice. That's why on Rosh Hashanah, 
<coughs> we blow the shoifer. This is the secret, says the Baal Shem Tev, of Tkiyas Shoifer. I don't take a violin or a cello or a guitar or a piano and start playing the music on Rosh Hashanah. What about saying words? Davin. That's what we do all year. You davin. Avinu Malkeinu. Hamelech. Baruch Hashem. At this point, I don't have the language. I can't speak in words. But I can cry out. It's an inner outcry that comes from the depth of the heart. It represents remorse for a past. And it represents a resolution for the future to always remain connected to my father, connected to me, to listen to the, to the, listen to my father. This Hashem is aroused. Hashem suddenly hears somebody sobbing, somebody crying, somebody screaming. This is my kin, this is my child. God has aroused and all the love so deeply embedded in the Rebbeinah Shalom to his one and only child. As the Baal Shem Tev said that every Jew is beloved by Hashem via Ben Yochit. As though you were an only child. And of course there is complete forgiveness for everything that happened in the past. There's an understanding, this forgiveness. And that's why after Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is followed by Yom Kippur, the day of forgiveness. What's the connection? You would think, first you have a day of forgiveness, and then you have Rosh Hashanah. You go into the new year forgiven. Doesn't that make sense? Did you ever wonder? Why is Rosh Hashanah before Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur should be before Rosh Hashanah. First ask for forgiveness, and then we'll start a new year together. (laughs) You don't start the new year before forgiveness. You know, first clean up the mess, and then we'll decorate the house. You don't decorate the house before you clean the mess. The Baal Shem Tov says, no... Yom Kippur always comes after Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the relationship. Rosh Hashanah is the pure, undiluted, unmitigated, pristine cry from the essence of a person that's not articulated in words because I forgot the language. And then comes the day of Yom Kippur, the day of forgiveness. Until we come to Sukkot, the first day of Sukkot, the Medrash says, Urishin l'cheshben avoynas. The first day of a calcul- new calculation of sins, as the Medrash says in Parshish Emer on the verse, you should take on the first day of Sukkot and Esrig and Alulav and Adas and Arava. So the Medrash says the reason it's called the first day, even though it's the 15th of Tishrei, because it's the first day when the sins begin being recalculated because everything has been forgiven. And then comes the hug. This is what it says in the Song of Songs. His right arm embraces me. The Chag HaSukkis, HaKofas, HaSchach, the Sukkah, Chulik, Commission is Bosov, Mizeb, Makamacher. And this is what the Schach of Sukkah is. It's God embracing the Prince. So Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkis are all one continuous experience of a new relationship. It's not that there's Rosh Hashanah, then there's Yom Kippur, then there's Sukkis. It's just let, let's put all the holidays into one month and get over them. No. 
there's a continuum here. It begins with Rosh Hashanah. You know, it begins with Elul, I would say, that the prince says, you know, I want to go back. On Rosh Hashanah, he reaches the capital. So what do I do? I cry out. My father hears my voice. My father hears the sound of the prince. There's absolute forgiveness. That's him, Kippur. And then as he said in the metaphor, the father embraces and kisses his child. That's Sukkot. Sukkot, the schach hovering above us, that represents the divine presence embracing us. The walls of the Sukkot, all the Yeminoi Techabkeini, Hashem embracing us. We spoke many years on Sukkot, the connection between the Sukkot and the divine embrace. It's even the structure of the walls. You have to have two walls and then a part of a third wall, which is like when the right arm embraces you, the three sections of the right arm, from your shoulder to your elbow, from your elbow to your wrist, and then your wrist, that's shteit fones, hashlishes, afilotefech, as Darizal explains, the Alter explains it in the Torah. This is the metaphor of the Balshamtev. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.